About a thing. No. Every little Lorcana is gonna be alright. Hello and welcome to Red Raccoon Radio, your source for tabletop gaming news in Bloomington, Illinois, and beyond. That's where you chose to start out. That's where I'm choosing. <laughs> Hi, I'm John. This is oh, Jamie. And uh, we're happy to talk to you guys now on a new day. Uh, I had released a small little audio. It's clip. a beautiful day. This is going to be an all-musical episode for Jamie, and I can't wait for it. My brain is so fried, man. As I came in. Flatcon the entire weekend, and and prepping for the ribbon cutting, which is two days from now, and my brain's just a mess. Understandably so, and I think it it deserves to be. It's okay. Um, Because you have, obviously, we we went through the list a few episodes ago of just everything that's going to be going on for these three months, and all it's done is added to that list. I know. It's been amazing. Well, and so on top of that, too, right, so I think most people know that um, Kelly and I also own the Decorator's Grocery, Uh which is a candy and chocolate making and and baking supply store. And uh, Jesse and Chance and Ken and I had to go over because today was the first delivery for the big chocolate sale. So we had to load and carry in 5,000 pounds of chocolate because um, the... It comes on a semi, and the guy just drops it on the gravel. He's like, have a nice day, and he just walks away. Like, he just drops the pallet down there. Luckily, it's a nice day out and didn't have any rain or anything, so we're like, we'll get there in an hour because it's not hot. Right. And so, but yeah, 5,000 pounds of chocolate decided to show up today in addition to all the other stuff going on. <laughs> it's awesome. And um, um, 30 30-pound 30 cases of caramel as well, so... Is that 900 pounds? 900 pounds of caramel. That's your exercise for the year, right? It is. It is. Good. It is. I'm surprised that my back even holds together at all at this point, right? Like, It's just like a stack of those Lego like circle bricks. That's your spine at this point. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes I feel like uh, Conan at the beginning of the Conan the Barbarian where he's pushing the wheel, just oh. walking in that yep. circle around the outside. And he goes wheel from, of like, pain. Yeah. It goes from like super like skinny little, little kid Conan to like super muscular Conan. And I think that sometimes that's my back. It's like it's so used to the level of abuse that I put it through that it just, you if, know. If you didn't abuse it, what would happen? I, like, I might just fall this. to pieces. Yeah. I might I might just fall apart. I'd be um, like a, a Lego minifig that just like collapses and like from, uh, I've been still been playing Lego Hobbit a little bit. So when you die, you know, you kind of burst and all the Lego pieces part, uh, pop all over the place. Such a good game series. Like I know that it's kind of run its course, but you know what? Speaking of games, games. Let's talk about them because uh, games. That's what we've been kind of doing this podcast for for over fifty episodes. Uh, let's begin with uh, the games at the store because you played some this week, and then you also got a big event that you got to go to. Yeah, tell me what's going on. So, uh, so since last podcast, we played Spellbook. We did. did. We talk, was it, did we talk about that on the last podcast, or did we, we talk about this podcast? I know I talked about it from after Gen Con. Yes, I think no, because you helped me prepare for game training with staff. Yep, and I'm your played, ringer. You pull in for to yeah. play the games before you have to play it with other people. I understand my role in your life. Yes, 100. percent No, I, I mistakes were made. I, we're playing a whole new thing soon. Just we'll talk about that in a minute. Ooh, fun. Um, 
No, so we played Spellbook, right? And yeah. and and I think you you enjoyed it too. You I did. did why I enjoy it? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, and then um, and then it went over. Spellbook went great for game training. Uh, I think that everybody really digs the fact that the cards make completely different configurations of the game, and every experience is different. So, um, you know, I got in a couple games of Spellbook. For those of you that don't know, Spellbook is a resource gathering game where basically you need elements in order to cast spells. But all the different spells, there's like three different versions of the different colors. And you can mix and match. Yeah, there's seven color cards, Mm -hmm. seven elements. They call it the materia. Seven different cards. And each one of those color slots can have one of three different cards. So if anybody's really good at math out there, it's theoretically... Uh, you know the number if you're really good at math. Yeah. Yeah, you know the number. Three choose you know one you times three choose one times three choose one. Or oh. three choose one factored to seven, factorial seven. English degree, man. English degree. <laughs> I, got, I got no way of helping you here. I am not equipped for this conversation. Yeah. What I am equipped about... But though, it's from the guys who designed Splendor, too. So yes. you can feel mm-hmm. some of that uh, Splendor vibe come through into the game um but it's it's a little more crunchy than splendor because they it's more engine builder than splendor was it's definitely a a step up if you enjoy splendor this is going to be an excellent way for you to still kind of keep that the magic that is splendor with its i wouldn't say simplicity but its lack of complexity and then it, they just take it up just as one more notch it's, and game. it's kind of like point salad to point city Yes, and we talked about Point Salad City last time. That I don't, I recommend Point Salad as like this is a great gateway game. You can teach all your friends super fast, and you're gonna have a good time with it. Mm -hmm. But probably not say Point City is the gateway. Splendor I recommend as a gateway game all the time. Spellbook is probably this your second game. Oh, you already played Splendor? Check this one out. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the first game I recommend for somebody. Agreed. I'd agree with that. Yeah. We did play another game. Queen by Midnight. Yes. Which I'm very curious to talk to you about because when we were playing it, there it, were questions. Yeah. Well, it's it's um, so it's designed to be a three-player game. Correct. Minimum. And yes. we're trying to play it with two. Just to get the feel of it. Things we knew were, what we were doing. Things did not work. No. There were, there were definitely parts of the game that did not work as two, which is probably why they printed right on the box, play with three. That sounds right. Yeah. And, um, no, we actually, it went over very well in game training. Oh, excellent. Um, it, it went really well. I um, I think I died in both games. I got off to both. It happens a lot with game training. They're like, okay, we know the game, and now let's kill Jamie. Yep, that's fair. Uh, and uh, with two people, one of the problems we were having was we couldn't attack and get through each other's defense. Correct. With we, we did the game training, we played every round with four people. And it, the game can play up to six, but with four people, you had to pick and choose when you were going to use your defense. You didn't just automatically use it and know you were going to get it back next round, and then you know, we really couldn't hurt each other when we were playing two people. But with four people, there was enough opportunities where you were going to get attacked by one of the three people you're playing against that um, you you had to be more selective about using the, the defense cards, which are called reaction cards. Interesting. And um, so Queen by Midnight is a the newest game from Darrington Press. We are one of only two 
Darrington Press Guild stores in Illinois, so this is not going to be a game you're going to find everywhere right away. I think it's going to go into distribution, but not for a while. So we have it on the shelf right now. And for those of you that don't know, Darrington Press comes from our friends at Critical Role. Oh, yeah, yeah, Critical Role, folks. And the concept of the game is the queen has died. There are six princesses that are vying to be the next queen. And the interesting thing is it's a deck builder game. And everybody that's listening to this podcast knows I love deck builders. Mm -hmm. But it's a double deck builder because each princess has their deck customized to them. And you can buy cards on your turn from that deck. Or you can choose to buy cards from the public deck that is shared. And that sits on this cool Lazy Susan with the clock tower that keeps track of the rounds. And it has a ton of really nice features like... Printed right on the clock tower is like, if you're playing with this number of people, to start at the clock at this time. And also printed on the Lazy Susan is, when the clock hits five, don't forget you have to do these things. When it hits six, do these things. So a lot of those things, I thought it was really nice touch that it was built right on there as well as we went along. Um, No, it went went really well. It's a longer game. The box says um, 60 to 90 minutes, and I call shenanigans because I played it three full games, and every one of those games went to two hours, 15 minutes, two and a half hours. Dang. But it was also every time I was the only one who had played the game. So it was like that maybe game two goes faster. Yeah. Uh, And it's a little asymmetric, too, because every one of the princesses plays differently because they have their own customized deck. And so even though I had... I've now played four of the six princesses, and they all play completely different. Every one of them does. So that's kind of cool, too. It kind of gives you that little root vibe where you've got to learn, take a little little bit of a learning curve to figure out what's going on with each princess. And I will say that the art is incredible. The the overall theme really works out well, and it being a double-decker deck builder is just a really fun element to throw in there. We did not really play the game, you and I, but I definitely saw the vibe of uh, Dice Throne kind of in there. Where you oh, have I can your, see that. You have your own kind of deck that you're pulling from and your own type of abilities that you're working yeah. with. Um, yeah, it it has a combative feel to it. Like, you are going to be competitive in this game. So. I, I think people are going to like it, and yeah. the one thing that we are going to have to tell everybody is the rule book is not as good as it could be. To the point where they've already released a like a quick player guide, yep. like a one pager that I think um, helps things a lot. It helps define what some of the symbols are that are they're covered in the book like super quick, and then they move on to the next topic. And the the one page kind of uh, almost like an errata page that they did, not erotic, errata. Um, That'd be, that'd be a whole different page. A whole different podcast. A whole, yeah, completely different podcast. I actually got to talk to Ryan because they got to play the game while you were doing your game training. And they were just, they loved it. They thought it was fantastic. They really did. Uh, they did not win, but they got to then play the mechanic that's also in the game where halfway through the game, you basically back another person. You secretly put it out there like, hey, I think this person is going to win. And then if you end up getting knocked out of the game, there's opportunity for you to become an advisor to that person Mm -hmm. and then be able to help in the game. And Ryan said they absolutely love that aspect of it and became much more of a social event at that point in time. So You have this card that is like, um, it has your ultimate power on there. It's the most expensive 
card you can buy and you get your ultimate power on there. And yeah, when you when you die, when you get killed out of the game, you flip the card over and then it gives you here are things you can do as an advisor to whoever you're helping. Um, and Ryan played Dr. No, who is the blackmail artist. Mm-hmm. And so their main mechanic is playing blackmail cards on all the other players where you have to pay them off every round or you can't use as many cards the next round. And um, you can pay one to pay them off just for the round. You can pay three to make the card get discarded, or you can pay six to banish the card from the game so that Dr. No can't use it in future rounds. And, of course, everybody got tired of being blackmailed, so Dr. No was the first player killed. <laughs> so I played Dr. No the second game, when, and I was blackmailing everybody because I thought it looked fun, and then I was also the first one killed off too. Because So you got to pick and choose the blackmail. Maybe you only blackmail one person really hard mm-hmm. and but i was blackmailing everybody which meant they all were attacking me so it didn't, didn't and, work out and another element of being able to pick who you think is going to win mid-game is going to change then the mechanics of the last half of the game and who you attack because you have to kind of say well i'm choosing this person to i'm going to have to support them sometimes maybe in order to make sure that they don't die because if i die i'm supporting them but at the same time they are still a rival so you have to be still vicious. I just like that concept and something that we didn't get to really do during our playthrough. So because it's just two of us, just two of us. Hey, I'm going to back your play, of course. Oh, you know, yeah. So the other thing we played was we also got in a big eight-person game of Cult of the Deep, Ooh. which I have said on here that this is in my current favorite social deduction game that exists, and it was chaos, which is exactly what is supposed to happen, right? It's mm. I, I like it more than Secret Hitler. I feel like Secret Hitler can almost be a little too formulaic. Um, and Werewolf is just too freeform. And Cult of the Deep combines kind of some stuff from Werewolf where we don't know who's who. The only person who we know at the beginning of the game is the... Um, head of the cult, correct? The head of the cult, yeah. And so then you've got some people who win the game by keeping him alive... You've got other people who win the game by killing him off. And then you've got some random roles as well, like um, Ariel ended up playing the Fanatic, where they win by making sure everybody's dead. Because mm-hmm. nobody could figure out what the heck Ariel was doing. And so the, and that chaos role was perfect for like Ariel's playstyle anyway. So everybody had a great time of killing everybody off as we went along. And it was, it was a lot of fun, too. But there's a dice mechanic, the Cult of the Deep as well, where you're rolling the dice and you kind of do the the three-roll thing like you do in um, Yahtzee or um, uh, King of... Not King of the Monsters. What am I thinking of? King of, uh, King of Tokyo. King of Tokyo, yeah. And you, but then you assign and say, this is what I'm going to do with these dice. You can either attack somebody, you can heal yourself, or you can try to complete rituals because we're cultists, cult of the deep, right? And if you can be the person who completes the ritual, each ritual you do when you assign dice to it, it gives a special power of doing something in the game, healing somebody, taking this, giving that. But if you can finish it, if you're the one that finishes it, then you get to keep the card and they have all these crazy special powers you do. It's just such a fun game. And I wanted to make sure that staff all got a chance to play it because only Grant and I had played it before. And then they're all like, oh, yeah, this is way better than we thought it was. Yeah. The flavor that goes along with the gameplay mechanics of that game, I love. I got to play it at your house one time. 
and just the concept of, okay, we're all kind of working on these rituals together, but we all know we have our own agendas for doing it. Really kind of gave it that that pulpy comic cult feel almost of like, there's going to be some interplay here because we're all trying to vie for a different thing. And the idea of like, I'm going to try and leave and not help this ritual because I really want the boon that I'll get from it from finishing it. So I'm going to let to see if everybody else gets close to it and then I can finish it and get the boon is, oh, it was just such a sweet experience. I actually ended up winning the time that we played it at your house uh, mostly because I was playing like a crazy person and was not following any of the rules, and it messed up Ken, I think. Um, yeah. Well, and then so the other thing I got to play, I got to play one more, as I got to play Forbidden Jungle. Oh yes, and yes. That's the new release from uh, Game Right. It's the fourth in the Forbidden series. You get Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert, Forbidden Sky, mm-hmm. and then Forbidden Jungle. So Forbidden Island is we're trying to rescue treasures off an island sinking into the ocean. Forbidden Desert is um, we got off the island, but we crashed in the desert, and the pieces of our flying machine are under the for, uh, shifting sands of the desert, and you have to kind of triangulate them before you die of thirst in the desert. And these are all cooperative games of one person dies, everybody loses. Yep. Forbidden um, Sky, then, is we have gotten our airship going. We've got back to civilization, but the, the, the planet is dying, and we need to build all the pieces and build the circuits for the rocket to get off of the planet. I think it's not the planet. I think it's, a, it's an actual um, flying city is what you're on. Okay, we're, we're trying to get the rocket off, and we're trying to put yeah, together and get the off. The flying city is collapsing, falling apart, and yeah. you have to, like— Brace yourself against the wind and being knocked off. And, and that like one, you that. actually have to build an electrical circuit, which it's is true. kind of a cool thing because then when you when you win, the rocket lights up and makes cool kind of launching noises and stuff. But there is a difficulty in it because not difficulty, but an aesthetics choice because the other two came in these metal boxes, nice and metal tins, yeah, nice metal tins, and the third game did not. It's bigger, so it did not fit in a tin. Yeah, so. Therefore, it really kind of sticks out, and it makes it an interesting choice that in this new game, Forbidden Jungle, they went back to the tin. And it's the same size tin as Forbidden Desert tin. So Forbidden Jungle is we have got into the rocket ship, but we crashed, and we're crashed into the jungle. And the jungle has these spider-like creatures that are in the jungle which they kind of, they, they call them spider-like, but they look more like the creatures from, like, the Tom Cruise version of War of the Worlds. Mm, gotcha. uh, or, like, the, the Harvester-type things from Mass the Matrix music, oh, movies. Matrix. Oh, yeah. Where they got okay. the really long mechanical limbs and then, like, kind of the round pot at the top. And um, those have, like, an egg stage, a hatchling stage, and then an adult stage. And the adult stage can sting you. So if anybody dies, game is over. And... Uh, it was really an interesting mechanic because this one, part of what you have to do to win is you have to uncover the portal to escape and then you have to get crystals around the portal to charge it. So part of what you have to do is you actually have to use some tools that come as part of the game to move tiles around. Mm. And you can do different things. Um, whereas the other games, you're trying to preserve tiles. This one, one of the strategies we used is we found a, a weapon that allowed us to blow tiles up. So we blew tiles up that were in our way, and we blew tiles up that had the alien things on them. Oh. <laughs> they can't attack you. And there's like an automatic way in which they move around the board. 
and the uh, you know as you get the, the the equivalent of the waters rising card they get more and more active and more of them are coming out and the way you lose is if somebody gets stung and dies or if you ever there's so many of the aliens on the board you run out of tokens in the box to use them mm. as soon as you run out of tokens the game is over because you haven't kept them under control so it's back and forth between trying to keep the kill the aliens off before they got so many um, that they overran you, as well as um, then trying to get the portal active. It was, it was kind of it was a cool mix. I think it's easier than interesting all of them except Forbidden Island, right? Because okay. Forbidden Island to me was the easiest one. Desert was harder. Sky was harder. Yet, yep. This is back to kind of. I'd say it's maybe somewhere in the, the difficulty factor between Forbidden Island and Forbidden Desert. So there's kind of a big jump in difficulty there. Oh, there is, for sure. Uh, I, I was actually able to read the developer's diary, because if you ever go to Board Game Geek and actually look at the news, a lot of developers of these board games that we love actually post like developer guides of like where they are in a process or what they're developing and you know what their final process was. And I think whenever this was up there and I read the article, originally he was going to do it with a space station theme. But then realized that it just made more sense to land on like this jungle planet instead. So it's been interesting to see that kind of change and how that actually fit more into the theme. Um, that's been interesting. I guess yeah. I've been looking at board games a little differently since we had been on the the podcast and really talked about that. So yeah, no, I want to try it again. I played it with Andy at uh, FlatCon this weekend, and uh, it was just uh, the two of us. And I would like to try it again with like three and four players to see if it does it feel really different with more people. Now, Jamie, you mentioned FlatCon, which is an excellent segue into how's the story been this week? Busy. <laughs> um, I've been trying to say to not say crazy all the time. Right? It's fair. It's fair. Because uh, I think I feel like there was a running joke that I always answered crazy. I'll just say busy because FlatCon is Bloomington Normal's board game tabletop convention, and consistently has between five and six hundred people there. And we have a big booth. We're kind of the lead sponsor for it. I help do a bunch of the marketing and stuff as, as our part of the sponsorship. So we have a big, we joke that our booth at FlatCon has more games in it than some game stores have. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Ken and Chance and I moved everything out there on Friday, got everything set up. I worked the booth all Friday night and most of Saturday. And then Jesse ran it with Spencer on Sunday. Ryan and Anna helped me on Saturday. And it, it's just a, it's a great time. This year was a little lighter on RPGs, but uh, really heavy on board games and miniatures games. So there was a lot of guys playing Warhammer, a lot of guys playing Age of Sigmar. Pretty good turnout. I think 10 or 12 for a Marvel Crisis Protocol. Wow. Some guys even playing Bolt Action, which is a World War II game. Uh, a couple of guys from Decatur came up and ran that. Tons of really cool vendor booths. And um, here's a cool piece of news that I did not know. Ooh. Uh, there's a board game manufacturing place in Pekin. Did you know that? I had no idea. 32,000 square feet. And as... Tariffs have been increasing on importing games from China and having things manufactured in China. This place in Pekin is becoming more and more viable. 
I know the guy who runs it. I just didn't even know that's what he did. Huh. Right? He's um, it's Ryan, and he's um, he's a, a co-owner partner with Zach over at Zeke's Comics and Games. And Zach had told me a while ago that Ryan has um, he has a background in chemistry and was making his own paint line. Hmm. And I. You know, I told Zach forever ago, I said, well, when Ryan has a rack system ready to sell it to retail stores where I can get individual bottles of paint, have him get a hold of me, and we're, we're going to bring it in. And then I just hadn't heard anything about it forever. And apparently, Ryan figured that out about a year ago, didn't know I was interested. So um, he's going to have some conversations for with words with Zach. So Ooh. sorry, Zach. Ooh. Ooh. But uh, along the way... He has this facility now where he's doing more and more printing of, you know, he's got um, uh, stuff for doing cardboard and paper and laser cutters and laser etchers and gravers and um, the the SioCast, which is the silicone oxide something. It's It's a different type of, like, injection molding to make minis. He's been partnered with Creature Caster. And he's made a bunch of games. If you've heard of the game Judgment, there's a new Judgment Eternal version coming out that's all made in Pekin. I had no idea this was even over. I didn't know Ryan was doing this because I haven't seen him since pre-COVID. And since because of COVID and everything that's going on, his business has grown. He has 47 employees now. Huh. That's pretty cool. Hey, Jamie, this sounds like an excellent person to have on the podcast. I think we just found our next guest. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Um, so whenever Zach gets yelled at and then you guys finally connect, let him know that we're interested. <laughs> no, that's a good idea. Because um, so when I met Ryan, he's working as a mechanic. Oh. He's got a degree in chemistry, but he's working as a mechanic. And, yeah, and now he's he runs this 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 company that they this is all they do. I, I can't off the top of my head. I can't think of what the name of the actual company is. Well, that's fine because we're going to have him on the podcast and he'll be able to talk all about it. So yeah. look forward to that. Yeah. I'm, I'm calling my shot right there. Yeah. But Flatcom was lots of fun. Lots of other cool vendors are out there and, and it's always a good time seeing people and talking to them and seeing uh, people t- play tons of new games, right? One of the things that they've done in probably the last four or five years of Flatcon, maybe even a little bit before than that, is uh, Brad has taken over Flatcon, and Chris James, who you know we know very well because yep. he worked at the store for a long time with us, uh, helps do a lot of stuff as well. It continues to be a charity organization that runs it, and so all the money that they raise goes to various charities. It's not going to be just Relay for Life. Now they're letting um, the participants of Flatcom vote for what charity is going to oh. be used. I don't actually know which one won because they had a thing where you could vote um, at Flatcon this year. And uh, Brad and Chris are both massive board game people. Brad's got this massive board game library. So when you go to Flatcon, there is like six shelves of this massive board game library to just walk up and rent one, check it out, sit down at a table, and learn how to play the game. But they added, on top of that, they added um, play to win. So there are games that are donated by a bunch of the publishers, and if you play that game, everybody who plays that game over the course of the weekend, one of those people will get chosen to win that game and take it home with them. That is incredible. Yeah. I love that. Including Stonemeyer was one of the companies that sent something, and they sent their brand new... Uh, Expeditions game, which is set in the side world, and they sent the ironclad version, which is the one with the metal um, components in there. Yeah, 
We're going to yeah. be talking about that, I think, near the end of the podcast for the new hotness, but spoilers. Spoilers! Spoilers. Uh, so that was great. So that's what was going on with FlatCon. Everything yeah. then... It's the always sp- the weekend with the second Sunday of the October. So we'll be looking forward to that next year. Maybe we can have uh, Brad and Chris on. Maybe we'll just get more guests all the time now. These yes. are such a good idea. Like, yes. pre-FlatCon, we'll have the people that run FlatCon here. Before FlatCon? That, yeah. that totally makes sense. we got to write these these down to remember what we're going to uh, do. I'm sure our audience will let us know, right? Yeah. Speaking of, before we go any farther, before okay. we get into the news, uh, you put out a call on the last podcast, which made me very happy and upset at the same time, because I've put out a few calls out there, and our dear listeners, apparently the questions I've asked have not intrigued them, because we hear nothing. But when you put out the call of what do people do whenever they're listening, we actually got a few answers from that. Uh, so from some of the people that we were listening from, uh, we do know that there are some people that are listening to this on their drive to and from work, uh, which apparently is a bit of a commute. So, oh, I just had it and I lost it and I'm very sad about that. Um, I always listen to our podcast. I don't yes. know if you do, but I always listen to it after we publish it because half the time I forgot what we actually talked oh, about. Oh, absolutely. We are in a fugue state right now. Yeah. I, we are different people. So I'm usually doing the dishes or folding laundry around the house. That's that's a lot of what I'm doing. I'm doing my chores of uh, it's my turn to take care of things around the house. And that's what I'm usually doing, carrying yes, things around, putting stuff away, doing the dishes, folding laundry, cleaning up in general. So that's what I do. So Brooks Z211 uh, – from Discord basically said that they have a 45-minute commute, and so they listen while they're driving to or from work, which I do the exact same normally because I work in Springfield two days a week. So I know that vibe. If you're driving in your car right now, hey, just relax. Just have a good time. You're going to have a good day at work or you're going to have a good night at home. You're doing fine. To Hoppy, who said that is they're a regular listener but often play it while they're doing uh, disc golf, is when they listen. Oh, nice. So, yeah, that, I've, I've never really thought about that sport as having a, a good podcast regime, but if you're playing by yourself, doing a little solo game, I like it. I would also say that right now, just you know, feel the wind, look, it, keep your eye on the target. I think that's probably how this works. You're going to sink it. It's going to be great. All right, so there you go. There's some support so he's for the people listening. So go get a Gugita. Yeah, pretty much. So I got that going for me. <laughs> Um, so probably, I probably butchered that one, but everybody knows what I was going for. I think so. And if they didn't, it's their loss. No one else's. Um, so let's talk about some news articles, because there's something, first of all, uh, I want to lay at your feet, Jamie. Because... That that could be fully loaded comment there, so we're just going to move on past that one. <laughs> Apparently, from what you put in Discord, it was a very provocative title in the last episode, so... <laughs> Not exactly. I didn't quite get that joke, I'll admit, but we can talk about that another time. Yeah. But on this podcast, you have actually given us a scoop at one point in time. Oh, yeah. And you were quite excited. You talked to me a little bit about it privately, and then whenever the time came that you felt comfortable with it, we, we fully discussed it. And I don't know, Jamie. I don't know if you sharing information ahead of time might have caused some negative reinforcements, because... Rebel Moon Tabletop RPG Studio sues Netflix over canceled adaptation of the Zack Snyder movie. Yeah. Uh, this is going to come from Dicebreakers from Matt Jarvis. But uh, all in all, it sounds like the game that you played behind closed doors, uh, Netflix just kind of said, nah, forget about that. Yeah, and- I... I- 
So, yeah. So, I guess I can talk about it now because there's 100% they told the world that they were making an RPG, right? Yeah. It wasn't me that spoiled this one. And so, it was from um, Evil Genius Studios. Evil Genius makes one of my the more fascinating RPG systems that have been out recently called Everyday Heroes. And Everyday Heroes, you've heard Jesse and I talk about it on the live streams because there it's like um, Everyday Heroes is kind of like GURPS, yes. right? Generic role-playing game. But Everyday Heroes, the modules that you're playing are 90s action movies. Rambo, Highlander. Terminator. Uh, Pacific Rim. Pacific the Rim. Crow, yes. Um, uh, uh, the one with the Schwarzenegger on the on Mars. Uh, oh, uh, Total Recall. Right? They're making all these 90s action movies into the RPG systems that you can play using the Everyday Hero system. Well, I thought when I went into the room at the Gamma Trade Show that I was going to be hearing more about Everyday Heroes and new movies that they were bringing out. And then they stopped everybody and, and made a sign in NDA. And also, turns out I was the only one that actually stopped and read the NDA. Everybody just signed it and moved on. And I'm like, you don't even know what they put on that paper, man. Mm. So I read the whole thing, and it was it was fairly innocuous and stuff too. But I was just like, this NDA doesn't have an end date. And they're like, what? I'm like, it doesn't have an end date on this. And so they're you like, well, never yeah, I can't. Well, <laughs> no. Basically, they said you can talk about it once we go public with the announcements. Gotcha. They've gone public. They're yep. all over the news. Um, Zack Snyder's making Rebel Moon. Zack Snyder, of course, known as a fairly maverick director in Hollywood. He had the Zack Snyder cut. Well, he he was doing Zack Snyder. Uh, he was doing Justice League. Yep. Got kicked off of Justice League somehow. He, no, he had some family issues. Uh, I think there was an illness in his family that he needed to tend to. So, therefore... Uh, the Justice League then went to... Joss Whedon. Correct. But then, because of its reception, they did a Zack Snyder cut, which you can watch on HBO, both in color or black and white. And it's, it's like four hours long. It's... And I've actually it's watched really it. It's really good, though. It's, not, really it's so it. much better. Like, it's, it feels it's, so much more in. Yeah. It's... Well, because they, they, he goes way more into the background of, like, Cyborg. Who exactly. Most people have no idea who Cyborg was. Most people didn't really know a lot of the background of Barry Allen and The Flash. And he goes way more into the depths of the, their character arc stories. And also, whole different bad guy. Yeah. Whole different bad guy, right? It's not just Steppenwolf's just the pawn for Darkseed. Yes, Darkseid. Darkseid. It looks like it, Seed. It, Don't it feel does. bad about it. it. We, it we all get that confused. Um, so he was making... So he was... And then um, Zack Snyder was also rumored for a while that he was going to make a Star Wars movie. Yes, but... And then he did not get a Star Wars movie. He was supposed to have what would have been theoretically a completely new canon line. And um, they said no. I think part of that was the reception that they got to Han Solo's story. Yeah. Uh, and, and just basically they thought that they were going to do all these tangent stories and then really pulled back on that after it's Which now we're doing them all with, um, you know, the TV shows. Exactly. Disney Plus. But, oh, so good. So good. So good. But I also think that he wanted to take a lot of liberties in the Star Wars universe that possibly the people of Star Wars that control that weren't ready for. Yeah. So he said, screw you guys. I'm going to go make my own movie. And it's going to be a two movie series on Netflix called Rebel Moon. Correct. Looks fairly epic just from watching the trailers. Lots of big names in it, too. Lots mm-hmm. of really big names in there. And um, Evil Genius was contracted to do the RPG series. 
all the way to the point where they just kept pumping Zack Snyder for information and they created the World Bible. So the RPG book was going to be the World Bible for the movie and all of there's there's uh, planned adaptations for all this different stuff, games and, and everything else. And um, Zach let drop in an interview that he was making an RPG. And if you do a Google search up until the release of this, I would do a search every week or so to see if I could say anything or not. Um, everybody thought it was a, a video, video game. game. Yep, it was a video game RPG. The two ladies he dropped it in. They were just like uh, he was doing a podcast with these two ladies and. Um, is a video podcast, and they were like, what, Zack Snyder just dropped a scoop on us, oh my God. And then he's like, oh, I probably can't talk about it anymore. He just stops talking about it. And they're totally freaking out. Every news article thought it was a video game. It was actually a tabletop game with Evil Genius. And Evil Genius is not taking this line down. As we said in the article title, they're actually suing Netflix because they feel like this was supposed to be more of an integral part of the the creation of the series. And I'll quote from the article. Uh, Evil Genius says that Snyder's ambitious plans for a Star Wars-esque sci-fi epic included expanding its universe via tabletop RPG from the off, with the Justice League 300 and Watchmen film director expressly requesting that there may be a there be a Rebel Moon-based TTRPG if the project was signed by Netflix. This is a quote. To Mr. Snyder, a TTRPG was critical to the development of the entire Rebel Moon universe since it would provide content for future Rebel Moon derivatives, the lawsuit says. So they're very much saying, hey, we created this Bible. We deserve the chance to put this out into the universe. Yeah. And I mean, 228 pages, there's hundreds of hours that went into this mm -hmm. at this point. And it sounds like. I don't know. The the accusation in the lawsuit is that Netflix just took their stuff and said, thanks. Yep. And just walked away with their stuff. And so they, of course, want the right to publish the work and the, the stuff that they have contracted for to make the RPG. Like, I already have an order in. I, I signed. I was excited enough that day. I ordered it. I didn't I haven't paid for anything yet, but I had right. put in an order um, for multiple like starter packages with like all the stuff that came with it and dice sets and everything that you would expect for a big new RPG launch. Um, so yeah, I uh, so I'm super disappointed that it's not happening. I I'm, I still want to see the movie, um, yeah. but it sounds like you know I don't know. It, it kind of feels like one of those instances of big corporate company you know kind of crapping all over a little company up and coming starter company. So yeah. I don't know. I, I hope the game still gets released somehow. I don't know what's going to happen out of all this. I just remember back when um, White Wolf Entertainment got into the lawsuit with, was it New Line Cinema who made the Underworld movies? Yes. Because uh, the Underworld movies are basically a direct ripoff of World of Darkness, of Vampire and Werewolf and Mage. and It's not a one-for-one, one, but it's like a, a one-for-two. Like, they're, all of the core elements are pretty much there. Yeah, and so they eventually won that lawsuit, but it went, it went for like a decade. It drug on to the point where White Wolf went out of business and stopped publishing the game. And then they finally won the lawsuit, and then they got paid. And then we finally got like the 20th anniversary edition of some of those those games. And now we're getting, you know, fifth edition of Vampire and everything coming on. But it's that was again, little company getting crapped on by big corporate entity who thought that they could get away with it. And and you know, hopefully, 
evil genius gets their day in court and we see something come out of it. Fingers crossed, because if it is as big as Zack Snyder plans it to be, having that will be an amazing achievement. It's like having the the good Star Wars RPG before Star Wars was even a thing. It would be amazing to have. Yeah. Speaking of publishing woes, publishing we're going to we're going right. to move on a little bit. I this is now a game. I don't know if you guys can hear it, but I basically send Jamie all of the articles before we do the podcast. And now I think whenever I do a segue instead of just commenting on how good of a segue it is, he's Honestly, trying to figure out where I'm going to go. He is trying to <laughs> guess. You've gotten better, man. Thank you. He's, I'm calling my shots. Um, so I wanted to talk today, in this point, to about Dungeons and Dragons. I know we can't. Okay, so talk I, enough that's about I had a different article pulled up. Oh, you so were ready. You, you juked me. <laughs> yeah, um, I got rope doped. So this article again comes from Dicebreakers. Dungeons and Dragons might be might be about to vanish from your local bookstore. Here's why. And this was written by Chase Carter. Basically, the article boils down to, we know that Wizards of the Coast has always had a distribution deal, or for a very long time has had a distribution deal, with Penguin Random House, Random House Books. Uh, and because of that is one of the reasons why you often see Dungeons and Dragons books at Barnes & Noble or all of these other... Uh, or even places like Bob's Bay, just exactly. down the block, right? Yeah. But in an unceremonious act in the last few weeks, basically Penguin Random House has come out and said, uh, and I quote, effective January 1st, 2024, a Penguin Random House LLC is ceasing distribution of Dungeons & Dragons titles from Wizards of the Coast. Moving forward, your store will be able to order Dungeons & Dragons titles directly from one of our approved distributors. This came from uh, Wizards of the Coast themselves. Yeah, with like... No explanation. Yes. we. I, I, I actually, before the Wizards of the Coast put it out, Penguin Random House had already sent me a message. Just so you know, you're not going to be able to buy Dungeons & Dragons stuff here anymore. And we have accounts with all the major distributors in North America, but the margin was better getting it from Penguin Random House because Penguin Random House also had free shipping on stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we'd be like, well, we'll get the book over there. I have questions. Of course. I have questions. I mean, one, it means that small stores like um, uh, like Bob's Bay or someplace like that or, or maybe even the item shop in, in um, Normal are not going to have easy access to this anymore because when you work with the bigger distributors, a lot of them have like minimum order of $500, minimum order of $750, things like that, right? And so some of the smaller stores can't do a $700 order. We are a full-line game store, so $750 of RPGs plus dice plus minis plus um, board games and everything else, that's pretty easy for us. But the, a lot of little guys are going to get cut off. The thing that I don't have clarity on yet is when you see us talk about things like the Young Adventurer's Guide series, that this, this, I think book seven just came out or eight, where it's, it's, it's not a Dungeons & Dragons source book, but it is definitely a Wizards of the Coast published book. You know, and these young adventurers guys are designed for um, kids who, if I told you, John, um, the, the, this barbarian comes at you wielding a giant halberd. Uh, no idea. You, pr- you, you probably have a, some idea of what a halberd or a glaive or a In this, a, yes. A as an adult, yes. But as, as a kid? Not a clue. What the, what's, what's a glaive? Yeah. What does a, a potion look like? So a lot of these books are like 
pictures and explanations of why this type of weaponry or why this monster exists or what the monster's like. And there's there's one on monsters, there's one on weapons, there's one on spells, there's one on dungeons, there's one on all these different subjects. Are we going to be able to get those? We always got those from Penguin Random House. Hmm. What about the Heroes Feast, the Dungeons & Dragons themed cookbook? We sold hundreds of copies of that because we had a, a Facebook contest where people were making things out of the cookbook and talking about which recipes they really liked. Um, the orc bacon is pretty amazing, by the Interesting. way. Interesting. Um, are we going to be able to get that? I don't know. Um, things like, um, you know, there's a lot of like Dungeons and Dragons, like not quite tchotchke type stuff, but um, themed notepads and notebooks that we've gotten. And um, there's a there's a world building book that's a really well done thing as a guide for like a dungeon master to say what's your world's name, what's it look like, what are the religions, and kind of guides you through this whole history of building out your world in this you just kind of go through the book page by page and you start filling in details and it makes you helps you flesh out all the ideas to build your world out we're going to be able to get that i don't know and and so game stores are hitting up wizards of the coast on the forums saying why is this happening why are you cutting off all these stores and what are the impacts to our store with this other stuff that's it's not a dnd source book but the D&D cookbooks were super popular, which we found out that the second cookbook's coming out as well, all new recipes. Um, but these other side books have been very, very popular. Even Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons, which is an official graphic novel series, those were really popular too. And I don't know what we're going to be able to get and what we're not going to be able to get. Jamie, this is just a real testament to you because when I sent you this article, I, in my heart, thought, oh, this is good news for the store. Because it means that there's only going to be certain locations that you can really get your D&D stuff. It kind of centralizes it. You, of course, then came out thinking of the little man. Not just your store, but all stores. And I really do appreciate that about you. Well, there's, I mean, even if we think about just in central Illinois, right? We're one of the biggest stores in central Illinois. But there are some teeny tiny stores um, that are pretty small and like uh, Muhammad and... Um, Ottawa and, uh, you know, what's it, the, something Goblin in Ottawa is pretty new. They've only been there for like, I think, less than a year at this point. Hmm. Um, so there's a lot of smaller stores popping up in some, some of the smaller towns in central Illinois, too. I don't know what's going to happen for them. But thinking about, I, I heard an interesting quote, is that always watch out for the small guy, but keep an eye on the big guy. And now that I'm thinking about this article... And thinking about the quote that I just read, which very specifically said, effective January 1st, Penguin Random House LLC is ceasing distribution of Dungeons & Dragons tiles. Not, we're no longer partnering with Penguin Random House. It's it's making it sound like it's Penguin that is choosing to no longer distribute these books. Maybe. Don't know. You know, well, and here's an interesting thing, too. So when I first bought the store... Wizards of the Coast distributed their own stuff. Wizards of the Coast distributed all the D&D books and all the magic and everything I got came directly from them. They stopped doing that 20, I don't know if it's 2015 or 2016, but I used to have to place my orders and make sure my orders were in with Wizards of the Coast to get product. I want this many books. I want this many um, booster boxes or draft packs or whatever I was going to get. Um, now they push that away and they said, you got to get it from distributors. Maybe they're reversing course. 
and they're going to pull that back in-house and distribute self-distribute it themselves again. And that's kind of got me curious because we haven't talked about it in a while because Wizards of the Coast have backstepped so fast it was like Michael Jackson doing a moonwalk. But one D&D is still out there. They're still doing playtests. They're not calling it one D&D anymore, but there are still a lot of things happening in that space. And a big part of that still is doing more things digitally, whether it's their virtual tabletops or their purchase of D&D Beyond to make it official program. And I'm wondering, one of the big things that everybody has been talking about is if I buy a book, I want to be able to have it online too. And we've talked about on here, like trying to have barcodes or something along those lines placed inside the books. And how do you keep those from getting stolen and things along those lines? Now, this is me being hopeful for the big guy. I get that. But it also makes me question a bit, what what could they be planning over there? This for is my this? skeptical face it's, that you guys can't all see. It's radiating. I'm sure the mic is picking it up. Um, but in that aspect of they're going more towards a digital format, is this actually a move away from physical media? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, definitely a concern um, that I have, right, as we go, if they go away from physical media, there's been backlashes against that before. Yep. Right? There's, as I think about, so uh, Games Workshop was trying to go to all digital versions of the codexes for um, Warhammer, and people were pushing back because one of the things that happens especially if you go to a con like FlatCon, internet connectivity is not always super great. Yep. So can you download that and have a, you know, a, a, a offline mode on your computer, on your device or not? Maybe, maybe not. And if you can, um, can you find somewhere to plug in to recharge your batteries to make sure you can make it through the entire con? Some of the people go hardcore when they're at, you know, they start playing RPGs at 8 a.m. and they're not done till 11 p.m. There's not a lot of power outlets at FlatCon. Nope. You know, not for player use. There's a couple around the edges, but not very many. So there's challenges to going without physical media. That's why a lot of people, I would prefer to have both. And that's why, you know, especially we do a lot of stuff with um, a lot of more independent publishers where they use the bits and mortar program. Mm -hmm. And you buy a physical copy of the book and I am signed up as a retailer and I can go in and say, John, you just bought Cats of Cthulhu. And so what's your email address? And I'm just going to type in your email address. And then, bam, John, I just sent you a PDF version of it as well. Please don't share it. Do the right thing. You bought a physical version, use the PDF for you as well. There are ways to do this that have already been created. They don't have to recreate the wheel. Even if they're super concerned about somebody pirating the PDFs, guess what, Wizards Coast? I can, I know where to go get the PDF versions of all your books right now. They're all online. Someone's Every already done it. Somebody's yeah. already The PDF is already out there. I don't even have to look very hard. And I think Wizard knows that. I mean, if you... You are able as a dungeon master in D&D Beyond to share the books that you own as a dungeon master with the rest of the people playing in your party. 
That is just an option that comes with D&D Beyond. If so you're at the higher level subscription. Well, yes. If you're, yes. At, the level if you're at a higher level monthly subscription, you can do that. The base level, the free level, you can't do any of that. Correct. You've got to have the monthly subscription for that. Um, but, I mean, even then, if you want DRM-tied copies of it, like I've said before, Apple I, uh, iTunes, right? I can go to Jewel, and at the Jewel, there's this little spinning rack, and I can buy a $10 iTunes gift card and go to iTunes and scratch it off or Spotify or whatever, Steam. I can go to, I can go to the store and buy codes to unlock games on Steam. And I go to the software, and I load it in, and I scratch the thing off the back, type in my code, and that is now tied to my account, right? As a game store retailer, I could be offered the thing that says, hey, the new Planescape 2 book set is coming out in November. How many copies of the book do you want? I want 27 copies of the book. How many of them do you want to come with the QR code, or with the, with the scratch code, the QR code, whatever it yep. is? And I've got a little rack sits behind the cash register that says, John, you just bought the physical copy of the book. Do you want the book plus PDF bundle of it? It costs $15 more or whatever the number might be. It's that easy to do. It's yeah. a little rack with some scratch-off cards that sits behind the counter at stores. And each code gets to use one time. It's not hard to do it. And it, this is a solved issue already. And, and all these publishers keep trying to reinvent the wheel over and over again. And it just, yeah. Apple's well, so much bigger than them. Steam is so much bigger than them. Use one of the solutions they already came up with. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't know. That's soapbox. Sometimes the, the ways that Wizards of the Coast works are mysterious, which is one of the reasons why we often talk about how we try not to talk about D&D every episode, but we almost always do. Because not only is it integral to the game store, but just they do a lot of weird things we end up talking about. They do. But and it's like it's like watching somebody run into the wall headfirst repeatedly, like over and over again. Like, come on. But sometimes they run into it so hard that they actually make a new door. And I think someone over at Wizard of the Coast actually did a good job on one of these, which is an article you brought up. Uh, this one comes from Tech Raptor by Andrew Stretch. WizKids Adventure in a Box Mind Flayer Voyage Review. Uh, basically what this is, it's one of the Icons of the Realm boxes, which if you've been in the store, you've probably seen before. That's where you get your dragons, your giants, your specific figurines for certain stories that you're going to be going through. Yeah, they're usually tied to a book or a setting. Exactly. This one is a little bit different. Uh, this one is supposed to be, basically, you are on a Illithid or Mind Flayer ship. And it comes with a lot of interesting elements, such as intellect of hours, mind flares, mind witness, ceramophis pods, helm, spawning point, nautiloid uh, maps for all the different decks. And some of you might be saying, huh, I know what those are. They happen to be where you begin pretty much in Baldur's Gate 3. I, yeah, Baldur's Gate. <laughs> Spoilers, Everybody. Jamie. Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate. I have not bought Baldur's Gate yet. I did just beat the main storyline of Diablo ah, two nights ago. It's finally maybe happening, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. I'm going to have to do it at some point. I will tell Ariel you. Ariel calls Baldur's Gate 3 the best dating sim she's ever played. 
I have not run. I have not run into that. So I've been playing with friends. I will say that you unexpectedly fall into romantic situations that you don't expect. Uh, but I, the game itself, I feel like plays so much better with more people. Uh, yeah. I play with two other guys. We were going through the campaign together. I've tried to start my own solo adventure a few times. It just never feels the same because whenever I play with my friends, it feels like we just played D and D. Yeah, we've made some very bad decisions, and we agreed <laughs> from the beginning we weren't going to just restart when something goes wrong. We were going to live with our consequences. And wow, those decisions have some amazing ramifications. Because now, when everybody somebody talks to me about my story and like they ask me what I did in certain situations, it's amazing how many times I've heard, "Oh, I didn't even know that was possible," or. Oh, I can't believe you let that happen. I could have never let that happen. And just like going through all the permutations of this game, it feels like a D&D campaign. So that's awesome. It I know really I'm going to have to play it. This is a really interesting though. This is the first time we've ever had a physical miniatures tie-in yes. to a video game. We've had D&D video games. Oh, a ton. I played a lot of Neverwinter, the big MMO, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that incorporates a lot. I guess it incorporates a lot of the storylines. You can go and play similar things to Dungeons of the Mad Mage and and a bunch of different Storm, Storm King, uh, Storm King's Thunder, all those sorts of things. Um, this is the first time, though, where there's been a tie into a, a video game like this, though. And I think part of this is not... This is a video game that didn't. This is a video game with an all new original storyline. Correct, and I will say that nothing on this box is relating it to Baldur's Gate three, from what I can see. They are not saying play Baldur's Gate three. This is the exact same. It just happens to be some of that same intro mechanics. And Jamie is double checking my work here. No, it doesn't say it on the box at all. Yeah. So I feel like the big difference is... It was just the title of the headline, which is why I clicked on it. Mm -hmm. I feel like a big difference is there are D&D games that are out there, but Baldur's Gate 3 is a game that just happens to be Dungeons & Dragons. And you could play... I think you could play all of Baldur's Gate 3 and never truly understand that you're playing Dungeons & Dragons. Unlike the other games that really feel very much like... This is Dungeons and Dragons, and your face about it the whole entire time. But whenever I think of the login screens, or other than just the dice rolling mechanic, there's nothing in there that's telling me it's Dungeons and Dragons, which I find to be very interesting. And maybe that's why it's being such a great gateway into people saying, "Oh, oh, well, this is a Dungeons and Dragons thing. I didn't know. Like I've seen it played before. Maybe I want to play it now." That's. That is the most interesting part of this whole thing is I want to see if that happens. I I hope it happens. I think that'd be a really cool gateway to introduce some new people to um, Dungeons & Dragons. Because we just started a new school year, which means I have a whole new group of parents whose (laughs) kids have just found out that the junior high they're going to offers a Dungeons & Dragons club. And so I get this new group of clueless parents that are coming in like, my kid needs a handbook is he in junior high yeah okay come with me let me show you (laughs) this is what he's gonna he he needs these things he's gonna want all this stuff right so he really needs you know maybe these two books and some a couple sets of dice yeah he's gonna want this whole row yep just what is all this stuff i'm like this game's been going for 50 years it's got its own 
sphere of influence and creativity and everything that's happened. And I try to I try to not fry their brains completely. Yes, I agree. There was one day I was working and uh, I was this kid was really excited. He was getting his handbook for the first time. His parents were clueless but happy for him. They were ready to go. And one of the other store workers walks up and I will not reveal names, but they said, ah, yep, starting the addiction early. And I'm like, you don't need to say that, buddy. He's like, no, this is going to suck in your whole entire life. This is going to be your personality. He's like, let them figure it out on their own. It's okay. Um, But yeah, so that's a really interesting element. I will tell you that they have photos of this uh, on the article, which, of course, I will always post in Discord or... Now, I dig the fact that the maps aren't just fold-out pieces of paper. Yes, it comes... The maps are... They look like the deck of the ship, including... It looks almost like it's slightly raised for where the walls and the doors would be. That is what I'm seeing in the pictures just, as just well. Just looking at the pictures, right? Doesn't yep. it kind of look like they're they're slightly raised? Maybe they're Maybe it's just... If it, it's, I think, more of an optical illusion, but oh. it definitely gives you that, oh, now that I'm feel. But I don't know, like that one. Well, the, the miniature goes over that one wall, so yeah, maybe but it's it, not it must level. Be... I don't know. That's odd. Anyways, um, but they're all designed to be ship shaped, so it's not just a bunch of square maps. Like they can be laid ship shaped. Ship shaped. Uh, <laughs> they can be laid side by side on a table, and I will tell you, these look exactly like well. Excuse me. These look like a more detailed version of the maps that you would see in Spelljammer, which... Jam, jam, here comes the jam. There is a Nautiloid ship that you can find in one of the stories, and you use that exact same map. And I wish, because I ran Jamie and our crew through that story, I I wish that, that I had this at this time, because they look fantastic. No, well, and ironically, so I play in your game, and I play in another game with uh, Chris... And uh, he didn't even know, Chris is not a video game player at all, and he found a thing online from first edition he thought he was converting, and basically we ran into a crashed Nautiloid ship on a field. And you're like, oh my god, Chris is playing Baldur's Gate? I'm like, no, Chris is not playing Baldur's Gate. <laughs> Chris has got a Mac. He can't play real games. Hey, now. <laughs> NVIDIA is doing the Lord's work and allowing some of us Mac users to actually enjoy all of those fun games you PC people are. Streaming them. Yes. I gave a buddy a bunch of garbage uh, on a Facebook thread. He's like, I hate this company because they didn't make everything play. It was a game that was only being released for PC and Xbox. And he's got a Mac and a PlayStation 5. He's like, they need to make it for a real system. And then I was giving him crap. Like, I was like, oh, no, I bought a Mac and now no games work for it. Oh, woe is me. (laughs) Well, before this starts even an even bigger fight, um, I could throw out a ton of different articles that actually I was going to bring up today. It was a great day for news. Uh, We could have talked about the Ticket to Ride Legacy game that's coming out. It's getting reviewed now. It's sounding like it's going to be fantastic. Uh, we could have talked about Star Wars Unlimited, which they're releasing their first core set of Light versus Dark uh, early next year. I think it's in March, isn't it? I believe so, yeah. And, of course, we could always talk more Lorcana because it's Jamie's favorite subject in the world. <sighs> Lorcana. But for right now, let's talk about what we actually can buy. Not the things in the far future. Let's talk about what's in the store right now. Let's talk about what's in the new hotness. Okay, so... Uh, we talked about Spellbook. We did talk about Spellbook. It's okay. really good. Uh, have we talked about Tesseract before? I believe we talked about it last time because we talked about the metal dice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I got a demo of it. Scott was here and he did a demo of Tesseract. Um, it's really cool. 
it's an, again, it's a cooperative one where the Tesseract wants to launch off and take off on its own world and personality. And you've got to, your group of scientists trying to defuse it and solve the issues of what's going on with the Tesseract without it blowing up everywhere. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Um, Robot Quest Arena is a Kickstarter that we got going on over there. And it is... BattleBots, the board game. That is the Love easiest it. way to say it. Love the it. Kickstarter version comes with an, a bunch of extra robots that you can use. Um, there's no better. It's BattleBots, the board game, right? Adventure Tactics. Oh, I got to talk about this one. Okay. This is actually one of my favorite games. This I was going to say, this was a big box. That, it's a Kickstarter one that a lot of people have been looking forward to, and it got all kinds of massive delays. Like, so, I think I paid for it almost two years ago. That would check out because you actually had Adventure Tactics in the store at one point in time. I remember I bought a copy. Yeah. The, uh, first, the first release, I think we got six copies because we didn't know what it was. And it is – the gameplay is fantastic. The gameplay is a bunch of very much moving around a map, and it's, it's ver- the visualization of D&D that you normally see on actual plays where people have minis and things along those lines. What makes this game really different is the leveling up system – Uh, which you do, I think, after every session that you play, and there's a book that guides you through the story, uh, allows you to level up either the class that you're in or cross-class. And each of the cross-classes actually has a prestige class that you can reach. And all of this cross-classing does is basically builds within a deck. So it's a bit of a... It's not a deck builder, but it's definitely a deck manager. And you get the ability to play different cards with different spells and things along those lines. And it's very much moving your units to the right places, working with your other players. It feels exactly like Final Fantasy Tactics, which is one of my favorite Final Fantasy derivatives I ever played growing up. Uh, The original Tactics was fantastic, but that's what it was. You you had these different classes. You would have these characters. You can multi-class. Eventually, they might become even stronger classes. It gives the same feeling. I thought that Adventure Tactics was fantastic. We did run into, when I was playing it, a narrative loop that you couldn't get out of. Like, we had to kind of make some different decisions. Well, that's why this is Adventure Tactics 2nd Edition. Yes. They went through, and you're not the only one that ran into some problems, so they went through and fixed a whole bunch of stuff. And they upgraded. One of the problems that they had was some of the player boards would warp and twist and curve. I don't know if that happened to yours or not. It did. It did. Um, You know, they had a bunch of various things, so they they think that they fixed everything. And so this is Adventure Tactics second edition. And then a brand new expansion, the uh, Adventures Al- in Alchemy. Adventures in Alchemy expansion. Um, so we got the Kickstarter, we got just the base game, we got just the expansion pack. Then we got the complete reprint of the basically the everything new bundle with all the Kickstarter stretch goals. And we got the everything all in gameplay thing as well. So we got like four different versions of of the game going on here, and it just it's a it's a bunch of boxes, but it's not that expensive comparatively. Really, three twenty nine for the everything bundle. We've had everything bundles in the store that have been like seven hundred. So three twenty nine is for the everything bundle. You might have one less of those. I'm not gonna lie. Like that is tempting enough to get me to look at it again. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I was just like, really, this is the right price? Did I do the math wrong? And there's a ton of minis that are coming in with this that are yeah. just, they look fantastic. 
The game itself is so much fun. Yeah. Um, now a couple of a uh, couple of uh, one big reprint that uh, I wanted to talk about. One big reprint is Escape from the Dark Castle is finally back. So the Escape from the Dark Castle, we haven't had a copy in the store for wow, I don't even know nine months maybe. It's been that popular that we every time we get it, it sells out instantly. And I think we got a dozen copies of, and like nine of them went to back orders and special orders of people that had been waiting for it. And then we got three left. So It's a brutal game. It is a brutal game. Oh, you have played it? I have, okay. yes. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I really dig, my favorite thing about it is that kind of, that kind of really dark 1980s line art style that mm-hmm. they did. It reminds me of the... Uh, the RPGs, D&D, and, and cyber, uh, cyberpunk and stuff that I played in high school before we had color printing for role-playing games. We never had color printing. Everything was like that that dot art or the hatch um, artwork, that line hatch style. Um, this generation, so lucky. Yeah, when did we get color printing in D&D? The colors, covers were Is in color. third edition? Might have been third edition. I think. I don't remember second edition having anything in color other than the maps. Yeah. That checks I'd out. have to go look in my closet of... The vault? The vault, yeah. The D&D I vault. I showed you that big box that's in there, I, I have seen the big box. I've flipped through the big box. Um, also, Boop is in there, too. We I finally got Boop coming. in. So this is the Halloween version of Boop, right? With yeah. uh, it adds a ghost in there that can scare the kitties and mess mess everything up for you because the ghost kind of moves around the bed automatically, and can mess up your, all your plans because the ghost scares all the kitties and they run away. Uh, Expeditions is also there, a story from the Scythe universe, which you've had a demo out for a long time, and I even answered a few questions of when you're getting it in, and I had to say, I wasn't quite sure. So it's nice to <laughs> well, see it you back drum, in. It, got, it was nice that they sent a demo copy out early to drum up some uh, additional interest. interest in it, and it worked, and then um, it, it got delayed. They, Stonemeyer sent us an email, said, hey, we apologize. We couldn't get it out everywhere at the same time, so we're asking everybody to not sell it for one week as we're trying to get it out everywhere. And we we didn't even get ours in time anyway, so I'm glad they did that. Mm-hmm. And then when we got ours, we got the regular edition, and then the ironclad version with the upgraded components showed up the following Tuesday. So we had some confusion there with people who wanted, they, they thought we weren't getting the ironclad, and we're like, no, the ironclad just hasn't showed up yet. We did have some confusion there over that too, so... Um, I don't know what the story is, why we got it delayed, or what was going on there, but the game itself looks super cool. And yes. uh, people who love that side of the universe have been really enjoying it. It was a very popular game at Flatcom hmm. over the weekend. Uh, continuing into our uh, Halloween trend, you do have the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I have no idea if this is going to be a good game or not. It's, yeah. it's based on the original movie. Okay. Not on any of the sequels or any of the re-releases or anything. This is based on the original movie with a couple different bad guys that you can play. And, um, you know, can you survive? Will you be the final survivor? Yeah, it's from the, the company name that makes this game is Trick or Treat. Trick or Treat Games. Oh. Yeah, they have like... Um, they're they're going to release a Friday the 13th game, and but they have... A lot of the craziest, uh, what is it, latex masks? Like the super creepy, oh, like terrifying. realistic. Yeah, yeah, terrify every child that comes near your house kind of mask. They have a ton of them. 
Um, they have, uh, they make a lot of wrapping paper. You can go to their website. I can't get it and bring it in the store, but if you go to their website, they have wrapping paper that is the wallpaper, um, or not the wallpaper, the carpeting from The Shining. Oh, and, that's really cool. And they have wallpaper that's, um, what was, Chucky. It's from, um, Chucky was a... A doll? The, yeah, the My Little Buddy or something was like the name of it. And then oh. it's the, the evil spirit goes into the doll. That's what happens in the first movie. So they have My Little Buddy. They have all the, all the horror movies they've turned into wrapping paper. So if you want, you could either get it for giving somebody a really great October present, or you could save it up and give them horror-themed Christmas presents out yeah. this year. Spookify your holidays, no matter what the holiday is. But they do have some really cool games that we're going to bring in as well. And, and I've, I've played a few of them with them. They're super nice people. Very right. tiny company. I think there's like four of them. So if people wanted to say, ooh, finally, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre game that I've always wanted, uh, what would be some good times to come in with this week? Is there anything, I don't know, big going on? Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> Rock on, John. Like, wow. Um, no, so this weekend, man, Tomes of Terror is Saturday, the 14th. And that is a. We were approached by Liz down at Bob's Bay mm-hmm. about hosting a horror novel con here at the store. We got a bigger place now. We, yeah. can, we can sit more people. And it's this Saturday. I think it starts at 10. And it's on our website, it's on their website, it's on Facebook as well. And she's got like 10 or 12 horror novelists that are going to come here. And they're going to they're gonna have like a little booth set up and you can talk to them and you can get signatures on things and you can buy their books. And I think they're even going to have like some speakers and stuff where they're actually going to like talk and you can sit and listen to them like talk about the process of writing their books or what they got going on. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's cool. Not something we would have ever hosted, but it's cool that we can partner with a good store like Bob's Bay, right? They're, what are they, two blocks away from us? They're the last of the independent game stores that exist in town, right? Game stores or bookstores? Bookstores, bookstores. I mean, we have Barnes & Noble. That's fine, you know, okay. But um, it's not the same as going into an independent bookstore. Yeah. And it's the uh, the last one we have in you know that we had, used to have Babbitt's Books in Uptown Normal, which was cool as well. Bob's Bay's it; they're the last one, and they've been doing some really cool stuff down there as well. So all of us shop at Bob's Bay, and so when she approached us, we were like, "Heck yeah, we'll do this with you." And um, uh, then also while you're getting your spooky vibe on downtown, you got to make sure you go around the corner over to Painted Wraith. Yes, the Painted Wraith is. Um, my, it's the easiest way for me to, to, to describe to you the painted wraith is like imagine you wanted um, the Adams family decor. Yes, go to the painted wraith. They're gonna help you out. They have super cool stuff over there. Uh, we got some new businesses moving in around us too. That's kind of fun too. Can I can I plug some new businesses? I don't see why not. So right around the corner from us on Jefferson Street, um, there's a new salon opening up over there. So it's, it's, that building has been empty for like five years. That's cool. And then just down the block from us, right on the other side of Bloomington Spice Works, um, there's a guy who's a, he works at Rivian full time, and he's opening a personal electric vehicle store. So he's going to have electric bikes, scooters, and longboards for sale. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I see people riding the electric longboards around downtown all the time, and I yeah. see a ton of people on the little electric scooters and stuff. Cat rides the scooter to work. Cat rides the scooter to work when the weather's nice. She yeah. just she loves being out and enjoys the wind and everything, and she's like, 
she really likes the scooter, so that's what he's going to sell. There is one business this that actually this Thursday is going to celebrate a ribbon cutting. Uh, it's one of my favorites. Um, oh. I think you might have heard of it. No, I can't. I got nothing. Okay, but Red Raccoon is oh, having wow. the ribbon cutting on that Thursday. Is this week. This episode comes out on Wednesday, so technically there's a chance so people So maybe hear. somebody can listen to this and come to the ribbon cutting. It we're going to I got a keg of Oktoberfest from Keg Rub Brewing cuz you know that. we do a lot of the stuff with them. And we're going to have some cake and we're going to have some bratwurst and I don't know, whatever else Kelly Kelly comes up with, right? Kelly's a genius. It's it's going to be a lower key affair, just hanging out, talking to each other, have a beer, eat a piece of cake. Chill out. It's not going to be as crazy as the um, the groundbreaking ceremony yes. is because Kelly went made like the world's largest charcuterie board for it that. It was insane and beautiful at the same time. And people were just in awe. And, but should. unfortunately, this is like a really busy time of year for her. And so she's not going as over the top as she did this time. So it's going to be a little, little bit downplay, but it's going to be super cool. And if you're listening to this beforehand, come downtown like 415 the ribbon cutting is supposed to be at 4.30. You guys know how crazy it can get here. Just go park straight in the garage and yep. then walk over. Yep. It's a block and a half. Go to the garage, walk over here because, um, you know, all our email lists now, I send an email out to saying FlatCon ribbon cutting, and that goes out to 13,000 people. So if 5% of the people show up, that's like 600 people. I think we had 750 for the groundbreaking last year because you guys, we love you all and the support that you give us. We can't do this without you. And um, come hang out with us, have a beer. Let's just relax, talk about it. We're not done at the store. There's still more stuff to be here. I don't know when we're going to be done. It took us 15 years to get the old building the way we wanted it. And then you moved. And then we moved. And so, yeah, I still got more stuff that's going to get put up and more artwork and... Dragon heads. Yeah. The, the green dragon's on its way. Uh, so, so the green dragon's here. coming. Um, and we also, we just ordered new, like, outdoor signage for the store. So if, when they set up the concerts on the corner, they put the stage in, in downtown. They put the... the our sign is going to shine over the top of that stage. Yeah. Everybody sitting in the courthouse watching the concert is going to have to look at the Red Raccoon lit sign right above their head. That's what we want to see. Yes. It's going to be cool. Yeah. It's going to be cool. So we got, I just got that confirmed that it's ordered. I wished it was going to be here for the ribbon cutting, but we're not going to get it done in time. And then it's time to start working on the other half of the building. Yep. So uh got contractors coming in. We got it almost cleaned out. We got contractors coming to do some drywall, more insulation for the entire building, get some more electrical set up. It's coming together. Man. It's coming Man. together. Coming together. Coming together. Use board game auctions coming back. <gasps> yeah. We look for announcement soon. It's okay. coming. Good. Start getting your stuff together. Use board game auction will be here in November. November. Well, okay. All right. I'm like 90. I'm going to give this a 97%. Okay. 97%. That's, Ariel that's and I got Ariel, Ariel and I got a powwow on it. Make sure this weekend that we're talking about is going to work. But Ariel's in Nashville right now because her husband's getting an award for his accounting practice. So look at that. When Ariel gets back, we'll confirm on the dates and we'll start making announcements. Well, with that, our episode will come to a close. Uh, thank you, Jamie, for joining us today. And if you want to talk hey, about, hey man, you're totally welcome. Oh shucks. Hey, if you want to come and talk to us about your tabletop. Find us at Red Raccoon Games, located in downtown Bloomington, Illinois. 
Uh, I want to thank Jillian Mesner for the use of our theme music. And, Band kid. Yep. And feel free to tell us how we're doing by leaving a comment in the podcast app of your choice. Or come right to the source by emailing us at info at redraccoondames.com or... At the very least, come and join us on our Discord, which many of you already do, and it's really nice to see you there. And I know I forgot to post about the last episode. That haunts me now, and I will try and make up for it. (laughs) I'm I'm also now doing it on the Facebook, and so I was like, I ticked it off in my box, like, yep, I posted about it, but I forgot to do it multiple places. So Um, Always throw uh, podcasts in the subject line if you do send an email, just so that people know, send it my way. Hey, I want to give a quick shout-out, too, to all the... There's actually a bunch of other game stores that listen to our podcast. Oh, there are. I know at least five we've, other game store owners that have reached out and say that they listen to our podcast. We've so. talked about it vaguely, but that is actually really good to hear. This is one of the reasons I wanted to create this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, um, you know, so I'm going to say, I'm going to give a shout out to JD right now. So okay. JD's got a store in Indianapolis called Saltier. Saltire. I think it's Saltier. Never say it right the first time. And his store is super beautiful. I really dig his. It's really gorgeous inside, too. So it's kind of on the north uh, east side of Indy. So it's like almost like you're leaving Indy to go somewhere else towards Ohio or something. Super cool. Awesome. All right. Well, we are glad that you're listening. And until next time, keep playing. Bye, guys. Bye.